Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with actor, director, producer, writer Paul Gross. He's he's quite the Canadian icon, really. I mean, I remember Elizabeth and I, and we'll talk about this briefly. My wife saw uh, him before we were married at a, an event at uh, Stratford. He was fantastic. He played Hamlet. He's going to talk a little bit about it in the interview and talk about some of the issues surrounding it. One of the connecting points between that and our interview is the notion of trust. He's talking about his new film, uh, Hyena Road, which is about uh, the Canadian military involvement in... Afghanistan and it was just it was a great conversation we talked we talked about listening we talked about cross-cultural awareness we talked about you know the whole notion of, of of modern warfare being incredibly complex and what does it actually mean for you know us as individuals us as a country politically and so on the conversation could have gone on for hours as I think we both said you're going to really enjoy it Paul's a great guy he's got a lot of insight clearly a passionate intentional very committed filmmaker who clearly wants to make a difference so Hope you go out to see the film, Hyena Road. Uh, listen in to, to Paul and what he has to say about uh, pre-Hamlet and post-Hamlet and a whole lot of other things. You're going to love this interview. Thanks. And don't forget to check out more information on davidpecklive.com coming soon to a theater near you. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today here on this uh, cold, kind of clammy Monday morning out here in Oakville, and I'm not sure where Paul's coming from, but Paul Gross, writer-director of Hyena Road, is joining us today. Paul, thanks for thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, we don't have a lot of time, so we've got to get right to it. I'd love to talk about, you know, I'd, I'd like to waste a few minutes on some idle chit-chat, Paul, but we don't, <laughs> we don't have any... We don't <laughs> okay, have any, let's just get serious. Let's get serious. You, you've said that Hyena Road is not a war movie, and I find that pretty interesting because coming out of the TIFF screening, world premiere, by the way, right, at TIFF? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming out of the screening, go, how is that not a war movie? And yet I think I know what you're getting at. Um, I'm not even sure I did say that, but if I did, <laughs> okay. I'll defend it. Um, <laughs> good, good, nice. I like that. I, nice way to save that. Obviously, it's a, a movie that concerns people in war. Yeah. But I think I was kind of, I was sort of, I, was, it, it, I actually should go back a bit. I first yeah. went to Afghanistan in 2010. Okay. And uh, I, I'm not entirely sure what I expected when I went, but what I did encounter when I was there is quite unlike anything I was prepared for, either by what governments had told us or, mm-hmm. or what the media had told us for the most part. And <clears throat> so I thought I would return with a, and at least photograph it. I wasn't sure that there was a film that I wanted to make necessarily, but at least commit it to film. So I went back a few months later with the camera team and we spent a couple of weeks way outside the wire forward base, just kind of photographing anything we could point cameras right. at. Right. And it was during that trip talking to soldiers of various disciplines and meeting the Afghans that worked with us and 
going out on foot patrols and so forth, that I started to see that there was something in there. And in a sense, the film itself is just a series of incidents that were told to me by soldiers and characters of people I met, uh, and I kind of assembled it into a narrative order. But what, I, what really struck me was the, the complexity of it. Mm. And, and I guess what I suppose I was trying to say is, I said it's not a war film. It's not a war film in the conventional sense. They're, they're, here's a bunch of bad people, right. and we can identify them because they're wearing their uniforms, and they are Nazis, and we have to kill them. Right. The modern warfare is is hugely different and, and a, an inc- extraordinarily complex environment that doesn't seem to have much of a well, doesn't seem to have any fixed moral compass, and the agendas are colliding not only within the. Uh, the, the country itself, but also within the military, um, they don't always sync up. You know, so the military refers to it as there are two kinds, the two sides of the war. There's the kinetic war, which is hmm. shooting war, and yep. then the non-kinetic war, which is, I guess, what we call hearts and minds. Right. Which is much less about getting opening up schools and irrigation projects, although that's part of it. But it's an awful lot of what they do is try to maneuver power brokers in a region. There's a great and, there's a great scene, Paul, where you and Brian uh, and a few others, I think, are in the middle of a, a quite a battle, and it's really intense music, etc., filmmaking, and so on. And you watch the Afghani's in the in the town just kind of going about their business. Yeah, I know. I, like, and you go, "Hang on a minute." It, I mean, talk about complexity, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really struck by that. That when I went the first time I was on a foot patrol. Uh, I was with the battle group was the Van Dues, the regiment out of Quebec. Hmm. And the guy who, the kid, the man who was the soldier, I guess he was probably a left-handed, I'm not really sure. Anyway, he uh, he was from Ramuski and had this extraordinarily thick accent. And, you know, so much so that I found it hard to understand him sometimes. And we sat down for a shura, a meeting, mm-hmm. and there were the three or four Afghan elders, the Afghan National Army commander, uh, the Canadian soldier and his translator. And at one point, the soldier, it's like Tower of Babel, everyone's talking at once, and at one point the, <laughs> the, the lieutenant asks something, and his translator translates, and I know for a fact, I couldn't understand him, I know absolutely there was no way that the translator understood. And I thought, this is wild. It's not yeah. only are we asking young men and women to be reasonably good leaders of a small number of soldiers, but we're also asking them to be the leading edge of our foreign policy. And that's where I started to think that there's there's something that we need to know about yeah, this. Because yeah. like most Canadians, uh, well, I'll just talk for myself, I was really ignorant as to what it was our military was doing. Right. And what it was we expected of them. And really ignorant as to the burden that they had to shoulder. Well, there's a tendency to really polarize, right? Right, wrong, mm-hmm. good, bad, up, down. It's we shouldn't yeah. be there, we should be there, right? Yeah, and I don't even have an opinion about mm. that, whether we should or should not have been there. I think it's difficult. You kind of have to ask, well, at what point? Right. Because the <clears throat> mission was unbelievably long. I mean, we were there longer than the First World War, Second World War, and Korean War combined. Yeah, that's an astounding uh, fact. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it evolved, you know, a lot or changed a lot. Uh, from our first arrival there to when we finally left. I love the fact that you went, I mean, the fact that you went in country to get sort of a cross-cultural experience, shot a lot of this B-roll, not even sure you had a story. 
I love that. I'm not. I'm not sure, Paul, if that's ego or or just genius. But pro- probably pro- <laughs> probably a bit probably of both, a bit right? Foolish, yeah. yeah. But but what I love is is that, and and I think you've just validated this. I read it somewhere, but that that you drew a story out of the people you met, the hands that you shook, the eyes that you made contact with. I mean, the faces that you connected. I think I, I think that's brilliant. I think that's really wise storytelling. Well, you know, I certainly wasn't very conscious of that. I, I don't. It's, I, I wish I could say I knew I would go there and and find the material for a story. But I, I don't. It was sort of. I just felt compelled to go. I guess. Right. Yeah, it's you good. Know, and I, it's good. And to try to have some understanding of what it was we're doing, in particular, because I I think we're going to be engaged in in another such conflict. The, the world does not seem to be settling down, and obviously. Mm. There's a bit of discussion about <laughs> northern Syria, Iraq, ISIS, and all of that. And I think this is not to say that I have an opinion particularly about whether we should or should not be engaged in these conflicts, but I think we should at least understand what they are and what it is we are asking our friends and our neighbors <clears throat> and our relatives to do. I was... Um... I was at a meeting many years ago, and I'm sure I've mentioned this uh, a past uh, podcast with a, a former U.S. ambassador to Cambodia. I was in Phnom Penh, do a lot of work over there, and he said to me, "You know, Cambodia's problems are nothing that if that a, that a couple of hundred funerals won't solve." <laughs> and it's a horrible, dark thought. But it, when when I saw um, uh, the the tagline for the film, or at least one of them, "One bullet can change everything," is that kind of what you're talking about? Um, I, I think so. You know, I had a, a, an amazing meeting when I was first in Afghanistan with the, this American guy who had headed up the provincial reconstruction team in Kandahar City. Right. And I said, can you, we were having a coffee at one of the forward bases, and I said, can you take some time with me just to try to explain this place? And he said, well, it's sort of instructive to think of it like feudal England, sort of pre-Crusades, that there is a king whose power goes up and down depending on his relationship. There are a series of very powerful dukes who have armies, and they fight against one another. And what we're trying to do and getting, making headway with is that the dukes come to an understanding amongst themselves that it's in their interest to have a coherent country mm. against outside predation. And obviously, Afghanistan is in a terrible neighborhood, and there's right. a lot of interference with, from, uh, you know, well, obviously formerly the Soviet Union, but also a great deal of interference from Pakistan. And... It's, it, it is actually kind of like that, because when you're in the rural environment, it is kind of like looking back 5,000 years. Mm. And the opaque nature of this culture, sure. the passion culture in particular, is really hard for us to understand. I, I, I sat across from the, this man who's known as the ghost, Haji Malik, and he's a, it is a real guy. Talk about a great face. I mean, yeah. the eyes, the face, the, the yeah, what he's communicating and not communicating. Brilliant. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I could spend the rest of my waking hours with this guy. <laughs> I'll never understand him. Yeah. And I think that's also a big part of what's happening, is we, we try to work in partnership with Afghans whose, uh, whose objectives you know, coincide with ours, and yet we're also working with people that are extremely difficult for us to understand. And a lot of that is carried on the shoulders of very... Uh, young yeah. men and women, right. you know. And right. So I, I think the whole the whole thing of it just sort of throws war upside down. I've been using yeah. this phrase, postmodern warfare, but it does actually seem to be applicable because it doesn't re- 
relate. It doesn't bear much relationship to any war that we've been involved in before. Do do you want do you want me to walk out of the theater going, "Wow, that was a great movie," or "Wow, yeah, that was first, a great first and foremost"? Okay, it first, is a, it is a movie. It's not a sure. lecture. But um, and, but I also want you to walk out. I hope with a tactile sense yeah. of the complex nature of what it is we're asking uh, our fellow citizens to do. And so that we're more informed when it comes, when the next time rolls around. And we may decide collectively, we don't think it's a great idea. We may decide, yes, it is, but at least we're informed. Yeah. I think, I think it's the kind of, it's the kind of uh, sort of, uh, you could almost look at it as an academic piece in a sense, because it's the kind of film that could be studied by, by film students, uh, by sociologists or international development students, just talking about things like cross-culture. You know, you, you, what a brilliant comment. I, I could spend the rest of my life with this guy and not understand him. And, yeah. and I think if, if we started there, Paul, on so many of these conversations, warfare, uh, foreign policy, aid, development, wouldn't it change the conversation a little bit? Well, I would hope it would. You yeah. know, the more information we have, the better at whatever it is we're trying to do, we might become. You know, I I felt, and I have also talked with lots of generals and become quite, you know, I sort of knew, I know soldiers up and down the chain of command. Sure. who are involved in Afghanistan. And, and <clears throat> all of them talk about the ferociously complex nature of how difficult it is to achieve things, the objectives that may you know, whatever's on the table at the time. And I don't think we, as a population, had any idea about that. Right. And we were, of course, gov- any government is going to soft-pedal what it is they're asking the military to. That's just historically what they do. But I think that the press was not particularly helpful. We had some good, uh, you know, correspondence there. But, but by and large, people would sort of parachute into the country, mm. spend about a week and a half. Right. And, and file reports that might have been pulled off of the wire service and could have been done in, oh, my God, it was a huge siren. It could have been pulled off, you know, done in Mississauga. Right. And I, so I think we were, we were poorly served as a population in terms of the information about what was happening. And I, and I think, you know, this, the knock-on effects of this are, obviously, we're becoming quite aware, generally speaking, I think, about the effects of post-traumatic stress sure. disorder and yep. operational stress disorder, and this is this is an ongoing problem, uh, and not one that won't also be in attendance in attendance in the next conflict. Right. You know, more soldiers have killed themselves and were killed in combat, and I think we also have to have a look at that. What are we expecting Crazy of people, stuff. and can they shoulder this burden? So. You know, I, believe it or not, we, we're going to have to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, and I hope maybe... I know there's a topic you could talk about. Oh, that, you, we, we could go for hours. I mean, I want to I invite you in to come and lecture at my international development class at Humber in January. Seriously, like, you know, we could yeah, talk. Yeah, I'll come. <laughs> okay. Not that I, I, I'm not very good at lectures, but I can answer questions. Well, that's, well you know what? I, that's kind of how I approach teaching. It's more of a conversation. It's a dialogue. And I think that's what participatory, uh, you know, development's all about. And I think... That's what a great filmmaker is really all about, you know, having a conversation with, with their audience. Um, do you, do you, I mean, you clearly take this stuff very seriously. I think any writer-director has to, but you've got, you've got the, the connection of writer-director-actor, been around it forever. Do you feel kind of um, 
um, maybe this might have to be the last question, but do you feel kind of a moral responsibility as a filmmaker, Paul, that, you know, I mean, here you, you're taking on such an important subject. You're representing Canadians, you're representing the military, Afghanis, et cetera. Where, where, where do you sit with some of that? That's, 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 uh, that's a lot to bear. Um, yeah, I guess it is when you put it like that. <laughs> I didn't... Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm exhausted, Sonny. That's right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I was thinking that so clearly when yeah. I was there. What sure. I did feel, though, is that the, our men and women in the Canadian forces really do represent us with an extraordinary amount of <clears throat> integrity and honor. It's something that we should all take great pride in. And and I felt that if I was going to do a story that concerned their you know their their engagement that I would try as best I could as to be authentic mm-hmm. and accurate. And, and I guess because that was the prime directive of everybody involved in the film, it it forced us to contend with it realistically, right. you know, as opposed right. to bending stuff to suit some kind of cinematic end. Um, I mean, there are some licenses license is taken obviously just for because it is uh of course film. yeah of course um, yeah. but i think we were always trying to make sure that whatever we were doing was true to and accurate to what the conflict was and then that that makes you i just think that makes you have to shoulder all of those other things that you just described yeah and i and i think that that is uh, utterly you know important to any kind of storytelling i suppose but for me and it's sorry to maybe overanalyze it but i think down the road it's what the film the truths that the film are going to point to you know mm-hmm. people will be mm-hmm. able to look back and go wow you know we we don't really understand this culture what the hell are we doing there you know or or what are we doing there in this way you know maybe yeah. we, maybe yeah. we need to tweak something and i think that's that's the brilliance of of this kind of uh seems to me of this kind of art hey can i can i tell a great story about you and my wife and i meeting you t- in 15 years ago and you don't remember Sure. So we saw you, and we've chatted about this before, but we saw you at, at Stratford. What a brilliant performance. And I leaned over to my wife. We were dating at the time. Before we were married, Elizabeth and I were there in the theater, and I said, watch, you wait for it, standing ovation. And sure enough, you got this brilliant standing ovation. There you are um, um, performing Hamlet, et cetera, hundreds of times, I suppose, over the season. You told me earlier that, it, that it was a, there, was, there was this thing about trust there for you. Can you just mm-hmm. wrap up this conversation? Because I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, Paul. Military, cross-cultural development, et cetera, et cetera. There, it was a really interesting insight. Well, I think that, you know, Hamlet, was my good friend, and uh, Joe Ziegler, who directed me in Hamlet, he said, this is going to uh, change your life. Right. And you will not be in control of it. It will run, it will run away with you, and you just have to kind of give in to it. And at the, when he was telling me this, I had no idea what he was talking right. about. He sounds hysterical. <laughs> right. And of course it did. I mean, Hamlet is, an, is one of those creations uh, artistically that maybe there are ten that would be as significant. It's not a play that has any center. It's sort of bottomless. And it, at a certain point, doing Hamlet is a bit like fall. You just have to close your eyes and fall off the ten meter diving board, right. <laughs> and you right. don't. And and you have to trust that Shakespeare knows what he's doing, with it, and that at some point he'll let you back out. Again. And that's very much what that experience is like for almost a year and a half, where I, I I kind of went crazy for a while, and and it has broken the backs of other actors. 
performances. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis being a great example, who just could not finish one performance and walked off the stage and yeah, went back to that's play. That's a crazy story. Yeah, yeah, and it it is it, it is an encounter. It sort of reminded this is going to sound a bit odd, but it remind, reminded me a bit of a trip that my family took into the Sahara. We were there for a couple of weeks, and and I remember reading a, a quote from Paul Bowles where he said, "It is an encounter with the absolute, mm, and once you nice. have encountered that." You, you must return. And I felt that a little way about, you know, looking back in retrospect on what Hamlet was like. It's like an encounter with well, I bet every, the deepest mysteries. And yeah. It rattles you to the bone. It's a be- beautiful phrase, encounter with absolutes. I mean, you must have felt some, uh, every film must feel like that to some degree, but also just having that, that opportunity, you know, to go into mm-hmm. Afghanistan to tell a story like this, it's got to be kind of similar in some respects. It is a little bit, I think. You know, yeah. you, you drop deep in some yeah. world and let it take you wherever it wants to go as opposed to you trying to make it conform to something that to, to a predetermined idea and sure. it changed I think the experience with uh, uh, working on <clears throat> Hyena Road is probably going to change me quite a bit as a writer yeah. Yeah. because right. I wasn't I didn't feel so much that I was writing it as it was writing itself mm. and there's a liberty in mm. that if you trust it that it yeah. is I suppose what most artists strive for and I've only just encountered it so I think I'm going to try and do it again try and duplicate it well listen you did a marvelous job and I I, I thank you so much and I hope we can do a part two down the road Uh, uh, Paul uh, Gross joining us today writer, director, producer of Hyena Road Uh, yeah really appreciate the the, the time you spent with us today that was a great talk thanks thanks very much to have me on